All right. Welcome to another episode of Shadows in the Cave. My name is Eros Delos. And somebody did, somebody did message me and say, hey, that is not your real name. Well, there is a long and complicated story behind that. Um, anybody that knows a little bit about me knows that I kind of uh, have these cathartic moments with these characters that I create. And this is one that's been around for a very, very long time. So, deal with it. But anyways, here we are. Shadows in the cave. Thanks, thanks everybody who's been listening and who's been giving me feedback. I really, really appreciate it. Um, last week's episode was... Uh, I had a lot of messages uh, that people sent me um, for it. Um, you know, people were very... Um, they were very, I don't know, I want to say the word inspired, but they were very captivated by a lot of what I said as far as how relationships work, specifically the honeymoon phase, which uh, it's something that, you know, every relationship goes through and it's a beautiful thing. And I've, I said everything about it last week and, you know, I've been there and it's, it's you know, it's just, it is what it is, right? It's, it's a great feeling, but it's also a fleeting feeling and we have to learn to go from that stage to becoming good friends and having that respect and uh, admiration for each other and move forward like that because that romance aspect of being in a relationship it's, it's very temporary and once the real world sets in and kids set in and you know that, that that's when you, you you kind of see what you're made of as far as uh, being in a relationship and there's a lot of myths as far as what is a good relationship what is a bad relationship and so with all that said um i'm gonna continue uh this episode is also gonna be a continuation or an extension of last week's episode talking about relationships um and we're gonna talk a little bit more about what a relationship is and what the expectations are when one is in one um we're gonna talk about how the intensity of a relationship and not just so much a romantic relationship but also like a friendship dictates how we perceive that relationship in other words um depending on the investment that we have in a relationship that's how much we're gonna react to that person right so there's different levels you know and and, and so that's why people are always saying well is my coworker really my friend or you know, why haven't I since I seen so and so for like 10 years and I never really think about him. Whereas this person that I haven't seen in like a month, uh, you know, I can't stop thinking about. And that's because of the levels of influence that they had on you. And also the the um, the, the the levels of um, moments that you spent with them. So we're going to get into all that stuff. Um, and of course, if you guys want to contact me or reach out to me. Um, I'm on Facebook under Pedro Nunez. You guys could go ahead and look for me there. And I'm on Instagram, Dead Boy Lost in LA. You guys could hit me up right there as well. Um, I still don't want to go on Twitter, but I feel like I have to because everybody tells me I should. But that's like the biggest fucking cesspool of people there. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna just probably do it. And you know what? I'm not gonna generalize because that's not right. I, it just, you know, just Twitter is so. Um, you know, everybody just kind of says what they want. There's no risk factor to it. Nobody, nobody, you know, you could hide behind a keyboard and just, you know, give your opinion unwarranted or whatever. And just, I just don't like to be around that kind of negativity. But, you know, sometimes in it, for, for me to be able to get the maximum amount of people uh, that will be able to reach uh, this show, I guess I would have to go on there. So um, I'm still thinking about that. You know, and but before we get going with with the rest of the show, um, I had a couple situations at at where where I work at this week, and and we did some therapy with some families and some couples, and I think there's a big misconception when 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 couples go to marriage therapy or or couples therapy um, that you you there's this idea that a, a successful therapeutic experience is connected to salvaging the relationship and that's not the case at all um and also there's this idea that people that go to couple, couples counseling are going to come out of there with a clean slate that couldn't be further from the truth 
I'm going to get to a couple of points here. First of all, if we look at the human experience as self-growth, and like I said on last week's episode, as far as getting to relationship for the right reasons, um, then you understand that self-growth means that you've already loved yourself, you already respect yourself, and you have the healthy boundaries lined up. And in marriage uh, counseling or in couples counseling, sometimes uh, there, there's people grow apart, and sometimes the relationship is it is no longer valid for the individual, and it's time to move on. And that's one of the hardest things that people that come to couples therapy have that they can't comprehend. It's like, well, we're here. Why don't you fix us? And it's not about that. It's about finding what's best for for the for the individuals, and in conjunction with that, what's best for the couple. And sometimes, what's best for the for the individual is that they no longer have room for that relationship. You know, but you you could have people that grow apart, and at that point. The, the the definition of marriage for both of them is no longer the same. And, and, and once the definition of marriage is no longer the same or the definition of being in a relationship is no longer the same for, for, for two people that, that are supposed to be living together, at that point, you look at yourself and you say, well, what's best for me and what's best for my partner? Because if you love your partner at one time or another, um, even though by the time people come to couples therapy, there's a lot of resentment then you respect them enough to understand that the relationship no longer plays a vital part of their life and hinders their growth. So at that point, you say, well, this is where we're at here, and it's best for us to go our separate ways. And when, when, when we talk to, to when, we, when we explain this to, to a couple, depending on their level of understanding and whatever internal core issues they're dealing with, they're very understanding of that. So, and sometimes, you, you know, you get like, oh, my God, you're the worst. And, you know, this and that or the other thing. You didn't fix us. We came here. And it's like, well, this is this is a, a uh, you know, a, a microcosm of what's going on in the relationship, the way you're acting with me. Okay, well, then that's fine, you know. And, and, and of course, when you have uh, couples that have put in the work into each other and to themselves and, the, and they have good insights, they have good judgment, you're going to get, there's a lot of emotion involved and there's a lot of tears involved and there's because it is the death of something, right? Relationships, when relationships die, it's hard because it's, 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 almost, it's, a, it's a living thing that's dying because relationships are life and, the, and there is life in them, you know? And so there is a grieving process and people mourn the loss of that. But it's like, it's like when, when we lose somebody that we love physically, um, you know, you go through the steps and, and, and people that are cognitively congruent are able to do it better than somebody who was who has attachment issues, which is what I went through last week. Somebody who who, who needed that partner to fill them up or somebody who, who had a partner that enabled their bad habits. All of a sudden, it's like they don't have that anymore. So they're going to go bonkers. But it has nothing to do with the partner that they lost. It has to do with the fact that they themselves haven't put in the work. They themselves are not congruent yet. So you have a lot of negative feedback and you have a lot of blowback of like, well, you should have fixed us, right? So you see both sides of the spectrum. You see people that are that are cognitively congruent just come to accept that and they're very sad and they're like I said, there's a lot of emotion. And then you have people that are just go bonkers and it's like, no, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, you best get some individual therapy because I could see there's a lot going on with you that you've been projecting onto your partner, and that's not healthy for anyone, and there's not going to be any growth here. I mean, it's, you know. And, of course, when not every relationship is like that, sometimes relationships are, there, there's disagreements, and there's, um, you know, couples tend to be fighting for leverage in a relationship, you know, or, or on wants and needs or lack of communication. But the core values within the two people are still the same. And so they come in... And we start, we you know, we have we have the the therapy process move forward. Most a lot of these relationships are salvageable. It's all about opening up the lines of communication, establishing the wants and establishing the needs of the of the relationship. And it's like, okay, well then, you know, we're gonna we're gonna practice self acceptance of the individuals, 
and we're going to move forward and we're going to come up with a treatment plan and together we're going to salvage this relationship you know with certain interventions that we use um and so we see a lot of that as well and i like seeing that because a lot of people is just uh again there's a there's a there's a struggle for leverage in the relationship there's a struggle for um communicating and there's there's a hierarchy struggle as well and all those things could be worked out if the core values of the relationships are still there you know if 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 both people are still relatively um within the within the framework of the relationship where they haven't outgrown the relationship or the person and thus they're on two sides of the different spectrum where they're not they're no longer relatable and so we won't be able to help them at that point so you see that a lot so like like I think it was um, like two weeks ago or something, you know, um, I had a, a young lady come in and she was telling me how her her husband uh, started abusing drugs and he had never done so. And she's straight edge, you know, straight edge means that you don't do anything. You don't drink, you don't do drugs, you don't smoke, you don't know any of that stuff. And so it affected her a lot um, because that's a big deal in her life, you know, and of course, when it comes to our values, when those get attacked, we take it way more personal than something that we don't take so seriously, you know? Um, it's like me personally, like with me, like I'm, I'm not a religious person. So if, so, if, so if I'm dating someone and there's some sort of thing going on with religion, it's not going to bother me as much, right? Because it's not something that's within my core values. But if, but if somebody who's highly religious um, accepts accept somebody into their lives and then there's a situation that has to do with with some sort of religious situation, then there is going to be a big deal because you know that's that's part of their core values. So with this person, obviously she she doesn't do any drugs, alcohol, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so to her it's a big deal, and then she felt completely betrayed by her husband. But at the same time, she was willing to uh, to talk about it and and to come to some sort of um, conclusion. Where they both they both could move forward, and so one of the first things that I did was that I acknowledged the fact that she saw her husband as a as an entire person, right? She saw her husband as a complex person with with abstract features around them. Whereas, you know, usually when we get upset, when we have negative emotions, and when there's anger in us, and we see somebody that we that has betrayed us, that's who they become. That, that that's who they become they, they they become so in her eyes this guy would become you know uh, somebody who betrayed her by using drugs and and that would encapsulate his entire being right and at that point you, you're not you're no longer being rational because now you're throwing the entire book at this guy because he used drugs or whatnot i'm not saying that that was right or wrong i'm just saying you know she's decided to look at his other aspects of of, of his personality and of who he is because at the end of the day we're 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 different layers there's different layers to a lot of us with our characters our values our belief systems and who we are and she told me that you know i i know that he used drugs and i know that that it was a one-time thing and we've talked about it but i also know that he's a good man and i i commended her because a lot of people in her in her shoes would never see that right they would be completely blinded by that negative aspect uh, of betrayal and so you know, she was she was uh, very understanding, and she also really in, um, appreciated the fact that I noticed that she was trying to focus on the good in him, rather than rather than hyper focus on that aspect of his personality that allowed him to abuse drugs or not abuse drugs, but use drugs for for a, I think it was like a couple of days, and then and then we you know we talked about what was going on with him, you know what what triggered him. Because something had to be going on for him to be going that long and then all of a sudden abusing drugs. Some sort of coping mechanism that he was using to deal with stress was no longer valid. So at that point, he, he decided to cope with with uh, with drugs. So anyways, so that's what I wanted to say is that, again, people are complex. And whenever they upset us, rather than magnify the reason they upset us and try to mold that into their entire personality, let's look at the fact that you know the day before we love these people you know and we love them for the positive attributes that they bring to us so so i i try to tell people like whenever you're upset at somebody don't forget that they have different layers of who they are and 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 they're not the devil incarnate 
because they did something to us. That's our negative emotions and anger that's trying to uh, to uh, bring forth a reaction, right? Now, I'm not defending any 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 kind of betrayal or or somebody who, who does something negative to you or bad to you because there's a difference between a one-time thing and a pattern. And also, even within that one-time thing, during conversations and communications, we're gonna find out if it is a a, a long-lasting problem or if it was a a lack of judgment for the time, and, and there's a learning process there. So again, everything's going to come uh, by a case-by-case -case scenario. And it's all about having that open mind to explore the problem rather than go with it with an all-white or an all-black attitude and say, well, you fucked me. Well, then no, well then here it is. You know, I, I don't like you anymore. Okay? So anyways, I just wanted to share that story because that was very interesting to me how that is one of the common themes is that when, whenever relationships are having problems, we tend to put a negative schema on, on our partner and forget that they have positive attributes and let's try to work towards rediscovering those, right? Through, through both people, you know, and you through, through the reintegration of boundaries and establishing clear goals and clear wants and clear needs and just um, good communication. Okay. So now we're going to talk about what is a relationship. Let me let me go ahead and tell you guys quickly what is a relationship, what defines a relationship, and how in, in, in these times where we're interacting online, that could be a little problematic. So relationships are essentially um, the levels of interdependence that we have on someone, right? We, uh, the So interdependence pretty much means that depending on how they influence us and the, and when what and the level of influence they have on us that that's gonna determine how deep or how much equity quote unquote uh, a relationship has with someone. But another thing that separates a relationship from the, just like an acquaintance or somebody that you see at the store is uh, the interaction must be unique and not based on the enactment of a social role. So when we have when we develop relationships. We, we are authentic with that other person and, and vice versa, unless they themselves don't have an authentic self, which is a conversation for another time. Um, but with us, if you're a healthy, mentally healthy, uh, you know, person, then you are going to be authentic for better or worse, whatever the, that means, um, depends on the person. So in this sense, uh, you know, when we go buy a coffee, you know, with a barista or whatever whatever they call them nowadays um the, you, you know if if you when, when you get your coffee and you leave and you forget to tip them or you forget to say thank you you know depending on your values it, it might strike you when you're when you're opening that door and you're like I, I didn't tell them thank you or i didn't leave a tip and, and and you know but you'll forget about it relatively soon because there's no risk in that in that relationship because there hasn't been an interdependence or a mutual influence established yet, right? So with 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 people that we build relationships with, there is unique interactions. That means that our brain creates what's called a schema around that person. Schema means like roadmap uh, around that person, and so we start acting uh, not different but unique with them. So. What a lot of people don't know or maybe don't understand is that with every one of our relationships, we act a certain way that is different from somebody else, from the way we act with somebody else. And we don't see it because it's all part of our, of our personality. And usually the difference comes with, with our core values and having something in common with our core values. So the fact that we act different around the people that we care about and the people that we're in relationships with, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that we're just playing off of who they are. And vice versa. So we're mutually influencing each other when we interact. For example, with me, and, th and this is a very simplistic example. I might, you know, I grew up in the hood. So I might go back to the hood and, and the way I talk to my friends there, um, you know, it's going to be different than the people that I interact with when I'm in in, in a academia setting, right? With people that I consider mentors and are way older than me and have influenced me in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I might have a little more of a potty mouth with the hood guys than I would with with the people, you know, from academia. But I'm not I, I'm not being disingenuous. I'm not being unauthentic because that is who I am in both regards, right? 
uh, I'm still true to my core values as a person because of, because of the of the worldview that I have and, and because of the interactions that I've had. Yes, I'm able to assimilate to being with my friends and bullshitting and drinking and and, and, and cussing all night because because that's that's the culture that I come from. And same thing if if I was in a more business like setting, um, talking to people that that I care about. In a, in a more respectful tone, and 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 not that I'm in a in a in a like in a meeting at my job or something like that, or even like at the university level where I might have a presentation. That's different because it's not the people that's making you act different; it's the setting. So so you, so that's more of you confined confining to your social expectations. This is more like if I go up and have a cup of coffee with one of my mentors uh, from like my master's program, right? I'm gonna act a certain way because I respect them, and and I'm 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 bouncing off of the level of character that they have shown me. Point of all this being that sometimes subconsciously, sometimes consciously, we we tend to act different uh, around the people that we've established relationships with in an authentic way. So if if if, if I grew up in the hood and I have no experience talking to uh, people in academia. And I try to play the role of somebody from academia. That that's not sustainable. That so that's called having your best foot forward. And that's why a lot of friendships don't, a lot of relationships don't graduate to the relationship phase because um, we tend to only have an acquaintance that we see once in a while, and we tend to always have our best foot forward. Everybody does that. It's it's almost like it's a it's an expectation, right? We don't allow ourselves to be seen, or or we don't pull our mask off. Into we're deep into a relationship to where we know what the other person brings to the table. We know their character, and vice versa. And so then we there's a, there's a peeling of the of the layers, and then we get to see who somebody really is. And then if there's um, if there's common values there, we graduate into a relationship. So that's what it is. People that try to go around and be um, they they're not very authentic or genuine. They tend to that that they break down because. You can't. You can't. It doesn't really work because it's almost like you're lying to yourself constantly on who you really are, and so eventually you get exposed, and then that can lead to problems. And there's a lot of people that try to do that, especially like I've never understood this. The people that are not upfront about who they are when they try to enter a new relationship, I'm like, yo, how are you? How are you gonna play a role? Like let's say this. How do you expect to go the rest of your life playing a role of somebody you're not? But you know you see you see you see that effort a lot, and it's usually with younger people. But uh, it's like doesn't even make any sense to me because you, you're gonna be around this person all the time, and, and and to try to play a role to suit whatever you're trying, whatever whether it's their needs or your needs or whatever the case may be, that takes a lot of work. Like going against your nature, it takes a lot of work. So please just be genuine and authentic. And if somebody's already in your life, they already know that part about you. And they're going to love you for it. So even if you feel flawed, people like people's flaws and they respect them because we're all flawed. So um, anyway, so that was number two is the fact that we have a unique interaction with everyone um, that we that we consider to be in a relationship. Number three, uh, the interaction must have a history and have a representation cognitively. So like I said earlier, you know, you have a roadmap of that person. Who, who their characters is, who the, what their belief system is, what their attitudes are, you know, these are the things that we formulate in our head, and we and we kind of brand the person that we consider to be in a relationship with, whether it's a friendship or, or a romantic relationship, whatever the case may be, we tend to uh, already have that roadmap in our head, and we're reacting to that roadmap, right? So so that's why they also influence who we are because we're we have an understanding of who they are. And we have a history because we've had years of interactions by this point or weeks or months and they're genuine interactions. Um, so, so that's pretty much it. And those are the three variables that you need to establish a relationship. There needs to be interdependence. There needs to be um, a unique interaction between the two people, um, and which is unique to both of you. And there also needs to be a history, a cognitive history of the relationship. Now, the reason why this becomes a big issue now is because with social media, you have a lot of relationships that, that are established. The only problem with that is that 
you have a two-dimensional relationship, you know, because also another thing too is that when we're in relationships, we 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 evolve a lot, or the relationship tends to evolve a lot on 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 what we call nonverbal communication, right, or nonverbal cues, um, or or um, so in that sense, um, there's a lot of looking at the eyes, there's a lot of looking at the body language, there's a lot of touching, which touching is very important in relationships, um. It's, it's actually a very soothing part of relationships. Uh, so, so there's a lot of physical variables that come into play when, when we're, we're building relationships that are not really possible uh, when you're watching somebody else on the screen. And I know there's a lot of be, uh, research being done because social media is relatively new um, regarding the future of the classification of relationships. And so there's this... Um, so, so it's very difficult to to kind of uh, uh, accept relationships building on the internet, although they have and and they're becoming normal now. But it's almost like people have to rediscover themselves when they finally meet. So, for example, if you have a relationship that started to develop um, online between two people that fell in love online, maybe because of their commonalities or core values, which is very common now. When they meet for the first time, let's say they've been talking for a year and a half, two years, they do have a, ske a schema in their brain or a roadmap in their brain of the other person. But how much of that will be influenced by the way they behave? So it's almost like at that point, they have to start, you know, rebuilding that roadmap. But the good thing about that is that they would have two years worth of like internal data, right, to be able to come off of and, OK, well, this is how this person is. I kind of know them, even though there's a good chance they could have always had their best foot forward this entire time because I haven't seen them uh, in times of, uh, you know, where resilience has to be shown. Right. I haven't seen them when we both, you know, we're, we, we have an argument for something practical that's very that, that that's true to our nature whenever we're together. For example, if um, if you're going somewhere and, you know, your partner forgot her purse and you're in a bad mood, this, uh, you know, how are you going to react to that? That hasn't happened because you guys have been communicating online. And at a, and usually when people communicate online, there's a certain time frame that's, that's developed. So everything is very um, managed when people are having online relationships. And also, you know, there, there's the information that's exchanged. It's more controlled. It's it's more whatever you want to say or whatever that person wants to say. Whereas in the real world, there's a lot of environmental factors that could come into play and expose you for the kind of character that you might have, right? So, so those are the little differences, and that's why it's very difficult to take relationships online uh, to to really embrace them as as being extremely close and put a lot of equity into them. Because there's there's too many variables that, that that are that could be controlled by the person that's interacting, and that's not there. You lose a little bit of the authentic, uh, authenticity of the relationship there. Um, but that's not to say that you can't have great friends online or great acquaintances online because they do have um, they do have a benefit, right? Because we've seen a lot of successful ones develop, and then when people meet, they have this incredible chemistry. Um, and so it is very possible. Um, it's just the research is still being done as far as how 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 tangible those that data could be when 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 it's just done in in a you know in a two dimensional format you know. So that's interesting stuff, and and I love to read about that stuff um, as we kind of go more into a digital world where digital devices have become uh, the norm as far as establishing friendships through there. So, um, anyway, so we also have, so I, right now I want to talk more about the different, um, uh, the different levels of relationship. So the first one we'll talk about is, is the mating relationship, the, the, the marriage, the boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, this, the, the, these kind of relationships are separated by one variable that the other relationships don't have, and that's the, the sexual factor. Right, because when it comes to these relationships, um, sex is is part of the deal, and it's expected. It doesn't necessarily have to happen, and for, for a lot of people it doesn't, but it's an expectation going into a relationship, and that's 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 something unique to these kind of relationships. Um, they are also um, the, the 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 
the mating relationships are more exposed to an array of social expectations, um, societal norms, and rules that regulate a lot of the relationships. For example, a marriage is could be determined by the state, or there's there's um, so so there, there's a lot of legal intangibles when it comes to mating relationships as well. Whereas you don't see that with any other form of relationship other than like a child uh, parent relationship. Um, but but at the same time, mating relationships also tend to be um, at times dominated by cultural factors. Depending from your culture, the, a, a lot a lot of marriages um, have a lot of say from the extended family. It depends it depends on, on on the culture and and the community that people live in. But that could bring marital stresses to to the to the couple, and that's something that they have to work through. Um, you know, and so and so we have a lot of stressors that come into a mating relationship that are part of the mating relationship. But that's a very intense relationship. Um, it, it's 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 a bond that that's that's tied up emotionally, legally, and once there are children involved, you know, from a parental standpoint. So these relationships require a, a deeper level of communication, right? Um, and, and and it's very important that there's hierarchies involved within the, the, the marriage and within that the family structure of the marriage because then it'll collapse if that's not the case. And of course there, there's uh you know mating relationships tend to be more formalized. They 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 tend to show their titles more than other relationships. Even even like even like uh, like parents and children, like if, if the child disowns their parents or vice versa, nobody's gonna come out and say, Well, this is your child and it's the title that says that, so you have these expectations. It is like, well, we have complete strangers. Um, or I was to say, we have parents and their kids that are complete strangers to each other, and they go on with their lives, you know. Whereas when you're in a mating relationship, once you're branded with a uh, husband and wife with that title, there's so many expectations that come with that title, including the role of a parent or the role within your family structure, or the role within your community as a married couple, and of course, it's a, it's um the law also ex- has expectations from you. So there, so so you're kind of when people that are married, um, because of that title, they're they're serving a lot of different masters around their life, and it's not even just that. Even like having uh being a boyfriend or girlfriend, um, that that's also a title that that's very formalized and and. It has a lot of expectations with it as well. And once you're in that realm, there's there's certain there's certain rules that you have to abide by to be able to uh, be accepted and functional within the community that you live in. So there's a lot of external pressures there that could lead to um, to problems later on for the individual or the couple. Then we have family relationships. Now, family relationships are interesting because that's where we attain our identity. Right. That that's where we, you know, we we assimilate to our culture, you know, and and so a lot of our worldview is defined by being a part of a family and 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 having relationships with with our family within the household because the the, the relationships within the family and the household can be a microcosm of the relationships you're gonna have outside of the household and a lot and a lot of the emotional baggage that you attain from the relationship is gonna carry over. Relationship that you try to establish later on in your life, and that could be problematic if you if you don't have healthy boundaries within your household. And and one of the things that separates um, family relationships is that they they tend to be involuntary, right? Even if you're adopted at a young age, a lot of times it wasn't really even your choice to be adopted. So so a lot of these relationships are involuntary, and they so they tend to be permanent, even though you, you yourself. Even though the title won't follow you, like 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 being married would follow you, um, you know. For example, if you're over, if you're if you're an adult, if you're, you know, you could you could just not recognize your parents as your parents, and nobody's gonna bat an eye. I mean, other than people that within your family circle, you know, that's trying to kind of maybe bring you guys back together. But I'm talking about society in general ain't gonna bat an eye, right? Whereas there, when there's marriage problems, you know, everybody wants to be involved in that, you know. And so um, even even though family relationships um, are not up to the individual, they, they, they're involuntary and they're very permanent, um, the, the title 
doesn't follow you around as much as a a marriage um and but again let's not forget that even though you you may sit there and say well my parents i'm not going to recognize my parents as my parents and i'm going to move to the other side of the country and start over again um you inherited their culture you inherited their ethnicity you know and for political reasons you inherited the race right um and, and so you're you you still take so much and that's and, and family relationships are important are so important in understanding the individual because they really are a reflection of who the individual is and you know they they will take with them whatever worldview they were able to establish in the household and so that a lot of the times when we work um with people especially from a cognitive behavioral point of view we look at a lot at the um at the family and where they came from and the relationships that they built there um there's a theory called family systems theory, which I'll do an entire show on one of these days. That that's how they focus on is how does the individual relate to their family, and within that, how are they taking out how are they taking that out there to the real world and interacting with the real world through their behavior. So that that's family um, relation. Then there's friend relationships, and these are the more these are the ones that that are more flexible because you know we don't have ceremonies. Every time we make a new friend, right, we, we, we don't have these big elaborate ceremonies like a wedding. You know, there, there's nothing that really binds them. Uh, and, and they're completely voluntary. You know, friendships um, are, are with, with friends that are, that are not uh, related through family are really the only, the only choice that the individual has in establishing relationships. Because even marriages could be predetermined by the culture depending on, on where the culture is at. So friendships um, are, are voluntary, and they're, they're not really bound by any titles. They're not, there's no ceremonies with them. So they have more flexibility where they allow the, the two individuals to define how deep that relationship is going to be. You know, how, how, is it going to be loose? Is it going to be uh, tight? Is it gonna, what are the boundaries that we're going to create around this friendship? So that's all up to the two individuals, and it's one of the more flexible ones that, that exist, if not the more flexible uh, ones that 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 exist, and and friendship, you know, friendship's primary motivations are to um, involve like social social emotional needs, like like companionship, emotional support, affection, and intimacy. I mean, these are the things that we as people need. You know, we, like like I think I said last week episode, like we we are social creatures and we need to be around people, whether it's family, friends, doesn't matter. Um, you know, there, there, there is a healing aspect to the, to touch. Like I said earlier, it's like, it's very important that we surround ourselves with people. Now I'm not saying here that introverts need to get worried or want that's a whole other conversation for another day, but having a, having a nice balance of interaction with people, it's very healthy. And research has shown that people that have a, a nice, good social circle tend to live longer than people who haven't established friends or haven't or don't have any family left that they interact with um, on a semi-regular basis. And so it's very important even for our health to have strong connections with our community, with our society and with and with our and with people. So I'll close out this 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 portion of the show or the, or the episode with just saying even even as researchers researchers have, have tried to study um relationships they're incredibly complex i mean we do have some universal and fundamental ideas of relationships like i said earlier those three topics that i brought up earlier are all pretty fundamental within all cultures but every time we try to think of relationships we have to take into consideration the physical environment the social environment our culture um, how much we've assimilated to a particular culture uh, what's going on within us in order to accept people into our lives so there's different variables that come into play in establishing a healthy or a non-healthy relationship. And, you know, that's why assessment of the person is incredibly important because we get to know them and we get to kind of understand their worldview and see, okay, this is this relationship is, is there to allow them to engage in negative behaviors or this, or this relationship is there to enhance them, right? Because like I said last week, ain't nobody going to fill us up with love. The best they could do is enhance who we are. We already come in fully formed and fully whole, and people in our lives are going to enhance us. So 
that that about does it for this portion of the relationship part because now I'm gonna talk about other aspects of the more superficial aspects of being with someone which is the part that a lot of people don't like to hear about um, but it's it's part of building a relationship especially romantic relationships partnerships uh, intimate relationships and that stuff of like what are the wants and needs and attraction right and that's something that a lot of people don't like to hear about but there is research on that as well so i'll get i'll get a little bit into that in, in just a, a second i'm going to take a pause here a pause for the calls and i will be right back into shakes of a lamb's tail all right so this next portion of the show i will give a warning that a lot of my feminist crusaders might not be very happy with and i understand that i completely understand that and i'm always open for dialogue because i myself am a lifelong learner and right now i'm just establishing the research um for for what i'm about to talk about and i'm just going by the research that's been accumulated especially like with evolutionary psychology um, but again, things change as the as the years have progressed and the cultures have changed. So this is not this portion won't be. I'll, I'll say their theories rather than their facts. Okay, I'm sure the newer research will um, will start to show that things are changing in our society um, as as progressive movements for women becomes more accepted and more the norm, which is great because. I think it's a long time coming, and I think um, I'm a believer that everybody should push themselves to their own limits, um, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and you know, the only way to do that is with equality in in all aspects of life. Um, but let's go with what the research has said over the last, you know, uh, hundred years uh, behind us, right? So. As far as as far as attraction, there is a preference for symmetrical faces because symmetrical faces, along with um, youth, are a representation of good health, right? So so men tend to respond to visual cues. I mean, they they like it or not, uh, you know, looks are important to men and Though the reason for that is because looks represent fertility and their ability to have their, their ability for the woman to have children. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons why um, it's been theorized that you know uh, women, uh, men tend to be very visual people and and they tend to choose or or, or be um, or have looks like very high on the on their list of what they're looking for in a woman. And, and of course, you know, I'm generalizing. Not not every man fits into that category. Just like not every woman fits into the category that I'm going to get for them later on. But I will say that there is a premium for beauty, um, especially in our Western culture. Uh, people that are defined as beautiful do have more breaks in life or, or, or are given more opportunities than people that are considered not beautiful in life. And, you know, there's something that we call the halo effect where people tend to designate uh, beautiful individuals with goodness, right? They tend to think that because somebody is beautiful, they're also good, or they have a representation of good, and thus they tend to subconsciously get more opportunities, um, and, and they get um, they have a lot of breaks in life because of it. Um, so anyways, that's one of the things that happens, and the research has shown that, you know, people that, that are that have symmetrical faces, that are that are um, have uh, healthy bodies, um, or have a, what was defined as beautiful or attractive, um, you know, they have an easier time than somebody that's not, right? So, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, I think besides getting opportunities, you know, there's also the stigma that somebody who's heavy set is gonna have. And not only not only from the body shaming that they go through, which is going to affect their their how they see themselves, and it's also going to affect their mental health in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, 
it's it's also gonna affect their ability to to get healthier because when you're bombarded with these ideas that you're um, undesirable, uh, it's only gonna want you it's only gonna want you to kind of numb yourself from those feelings, so it could lead to like more overeating or depression or whatnot. So so these things are all connected, and as a society, we we've always tend to be um, a little bit insensitive to that, right? Because a beautiful person could do no wrong, and they're gonna have all the, uh, you know, women they want, and the, or the men they want in their life, um, and and that just feeds into the desire to want to be like them and be beautiful. So we're in this like, like like pattern, like this secular pattern of like, well, if they're beautiful and they're getting all that, I want to be like them, and then does I'm gonna strive to be like them, even though my genes won't allow me to be like them, um, you know. And that's why they, beautiful people tend to have more influence on the world as well, for that very reason. So, so, so men tend to be very visual, you know, and, and um, like, now remember what I said earlier, this is not, let's not think of this as all black or all white. That doesn't mean they're pigs and, you know, this, that, or the other thing. Although a lot of them are, not all of us are like that. <laughs> um, but there, there is, there is a, a um, evolutionary reason for that, and that's because, when when men tend to notice women, they're subconsciously thinking about having kids and and having a, a partner that's healthy enough to to um, be able to have kids, right? And so that's the theory behind that, you know. And and whereas women women they do appreciate an attractive man, but according to the to the evolutionary theories, they're more interested in resources and they're more because because. Back in the day, when we were living in caves, um, you know, when, when when lions, tigers, and bears were around, the man was able had to be able to provide resources for the woman to be uh, pregnant for nine months, and thus they needed the woman needed the protector in theory, quote unquote. Okay, um, uh, and so that's called that, that that's called the parental investment theory. So if anybody wants to read more about that, and it's research based, so um, so it's out there. Um, so don't come yelling at me about it. <laughs> uh, so so yeah. So the idea here is that because women uh, essentially give nine months out of their life, um, you know, they they need resources during that time, and so that's why women tend to look more. For men that have resources, so men that are like have titles and have uh, you know s s some sort of elite standing within society, um, have more uh, have not so much depending on their looks, although looks are important to women as well. Don't get me wrong, um, and there is a there is what they define as attraction as well. They're more interested in in, in their number one thing would be resources, and that's why. Having older men with younger women is relatively common, whereas having older women with younger men, well, did I say that right? Having older men with younger women is relatively common, whereas the opposite of that, having older women with younger men, although it's becoming more common, <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's still somewhat rare, you know. And for a long time, there was a lot of stigma behind that. You know, the whole cougar term came about because of the stigma that was behind an older woman going around with a younger guy. And it's like, what? it shouldn't matter. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is two people that, that could enhance each other and be in a sustainable relationship. Right. So that, that that's that's the theory behind uh, the motivation from from a, from an attraction standpoint, why we look for the partners that we look for. Um, again, things are changing, and, and there's culture variables as well, including our own culture here in the United States. Um, things are becoming more accepted, you know, because for many years, I mean, hey, if, if, if men dominated the research in the field of psychology, maybe, maybe they want a confirmation bias. Maybe these research theories, if they're made by men, right? I mean, who's to say? Um, so, so now... As 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 um as women are becoming more involved and something has been going on for many many years now, you know maybe there's more unbiased research that could be done, and even even at a at a micro level, women are changing 
the philosophies of attraction as well. You know, and, and like I said, now you're starting to see a society where where dating um, a, a younger guy is not as taboo as it was, you know, even like 10 years ago. So there, there's there's that to consider as well. Um, and then as far as the LGBTQ population, that's that's um, that, that, that's something that I'm not very well versed in. And, and so I didn't really want to bring it up for for this particular episode. But I know that a lot of people in my field have done tons of research on, research on that, and there's different um, defined attraction qualities that they look for in their partners as well. But that's a conversation for another day, and I might try to get somebody that's more educated on that to come and talk about it here on this show later on. But for now, I was just talking about um, straight people and and the, the 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 couples that or the people that they attract. So. Also, let's not forget that there's a huge cultural variance in what we define as attraction. You know, you can't you can't go by the data. You know, you always have to be cognizant of where the data is coming from. Who who did the data? What data is accepted? And unfortunately, we tend to go by the data that was created by a men and b Western white men. So that's something that we always have to take into consideration. Because myself personally, I'll I'll disclose this like. What I, what I find attractive in a woman now, my, my, my definition of attraction has has expanded, would you say that? Um, and so it's benefited me in the long run, okay? When I was younger, I was, um, you know, I, 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 like, like all of us, you know, there, there was more of a superficial nature to what I found attractive. And that's not the case anymore. And I think as we develop through our lifespan, we tend to be more open-minded, and we tend to look for what's really important, right? And 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 I think that's something that we should all consider as we move forward, trying to find somebody that we're gonna spend, um, you know, a, a large portion of our life with, um, you know. And I think at the end of the day, no matter what the research says or where we're at, I think having self-awareness and you know putting in the work into yourself first. Remember that it always starts. With having respect for yourself and having self-love and, and, and a good self-concept, which comes which brings self-esteem and being able to define your boundaries. This is what I'm gonna accept. This is what I'm not gonna accept. And and I'll tell you I'll tell you this right now. High self-esteem, no matter uh, no matter who you are, is always gonna be attractive. That that that's universal right there. Um, and you know, getting to know who you really are, defining your values, your beliefs, and your purpose—it's—it's uh, it's something that's important. And from that, the right people will start coming into your life, guaranteed. I've seen it happen many, many times. And speaking of research, the research also proves that. So just staying true to yourself, being being genuine, um, and being authentic will bring the right people into your life. Um, and I think trying to be anything less than that only hurts you. And the people that are cycling into your life because they're not getting who you really are, right? And I think having a sense of direction also goes a long way. Be firm in your decisions. Be accountable for your decisions. And you'll have the right people come into your life. You know, improve your focus, your effectiveness as a human being to the people around you. And you'll have the right people coming into your life. So these are, these are little things that we could do to work on ourselves uh, rather than stressing out about, you know, this idea that keep this in mind. This this idea that we're gonna be alone forever, that's based on fear. That's irrational. Alright? And that and that that idea comes from past trauma, comes from past experiences, and comes from the anxiety of comparing yourself to other people. And you have to challenge those thoughts because that's not reality. You know, our life is 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 goes in phases and people are going to come in and out of our lives you know you, you i can't tell you how many times you know i've met wonderful women in my life where i wasn't even expecting it and it just happens because i put myself in that in that scenario to make it happen right and and you know and i'm not saying that i went out there and and you know looked for women that's not what i what i mean by putting myself in that scenario i mean more what i just talked about right now i worked on myself 
I strengthened my core values, my beliefs, my attitudes, and and the right people started coming into my life. And even for even just with it with a um, not so much with a romantic relationship, but also just with friendships. You know, I value my friends. I, I I have a small social circle, but as anybody that's that's you know older than 35 listening to this, you start to understand that the the quality of a friend is more important than the quantity, right? And that and that's just the fact of life that gets more clear as we get older. Whereas when we're younger, because we have that social angst, we just want a thousand people around us. And later on, you start understanding that that's, you know, it doesn't even make logical sense because the more people you have in your life, the less time you're going to have uh, to spend quality time and develop those bonds anyway. Um, it's cool to have a lot of acquaintances, don't get me wrong, but you want that core group of people that are going to make you better, right? And remember, remember, one of the rules that I go by is when I walk into a room with my friends, I don't want to be the smartest guy there because I have nowhere to go from there. I want to be in the middle. I don't want to be the dumbest guy there either. I want to be in the middle, and I want to continue to learn and continue to evolve and continue to have people that are going to push me to to uh, to be better and to call me out on my shit when it's time with constructive criticism, not put downs, not 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 uh, criticism that's gonna that's there to build them up, not not that. I'm talking about constructive criticism where they give me their issues with me and they also offer solutions. That's a good friend. Um, but yeah, so just do that. Build greater resilience for yourself. And, you know, the, the fulfilling relationships will come. In time, they will come. So I guess we're going to end it right there. Um, that That's pretty much it. I think next week um, I'm going to talk about the connection between uh, thoughts, emotions, and behavior. Because, again, as we talked about right now, as I close off, anybody that's feeling some sort of anxiety for not having a good social circle um, or, or having a partner, um, it's all something that you learn. That, that fear comes from something that you've learned in the past. Because if you have self-love, you understand that patience is going to reward you in the end, and you're going to meet people that that are that are quality human beings, right? So, anyways, but with that said, I will say that if your thing is to go out on a thousand dates, go ahead and go out on a thousand dates because they do provide you with an experience and. You know, just have an open mind about them. That's all I'm saying. But, you know, life is beautiful, man. Go out there and date, 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 date. Not, not now because we're in the middle of a pandemic. But definitely go out there and have a good time. Um, as long as there's a the communication between both parties, always, always, always have communication. This is my expectations. And if the person approves, then move forward with it, right? If you if all want to do the booty call thing for a year, then do it as long as it's, it's, it's a mutual agreement. You don't want somebody... So you don't want to lead somebody on with expectations and you don't communicate that you don't want the same thing. That's horrible. You know, that's being very selfish. You don't want to do that. So in closing, um, relationships, they're complicated, right? And because they really are a reflection on who we are as people. And sometimes we're scared to engage in relationships because that means that we ourselves have to confront things about us that we're not particularly happy with or satisfied with, and that could be challenging, you know, and they're they're complicated and they could be a pain in the butt, um, but they're necessary. You know, I know the research says that people that engage in healthy relationships tend to live longer and live a healthier life because at the end of the day, we're social creatures. We want to be around people. We want to be influenced by people, and really we are whether we like it or not. You know, I know I know a lot of people go out there and they're like, well, you know, I, I don't need anybody. I'm a lone wolf. Well, believe it or not, you're you're just reacting to something that you've experienced that has kept you away from people because it is not in our it is not natural for us to want to be away from people. And all the relationships types that we covered here tonight, marital relationships, friendships, uh, family relationships. They all have they all have they all have a goal in your life. They all have a purpose in your life, and they all play a role in your life as much as you play a role in the people that you influence. And they all make you the person that you are today, for better or worse, you know. And they all have beauty in them. Uh, being in a marital relationship, uh, having children with someone that you 
decided you're going to spend the rest of your life with for the people that get to decide because like i said earlier not all marriages are decided by the by the two people that engage in them friendships are great you know friendships are literally our our sounding board to the trials and tribulations of our lives right there they are the people that we cultivate a lot of our memories with they are the people that are there to pick us up when we're down and we're there to pick them up when when they are down as well and of course when it comes to family what better way to get our identity than from them and we get our cultural identity from them and our ethnicity identity from them um and so all these things all these relationships have a purpose and it all comes down to who you are as a person and it all comes down to what kind of core issues you're dealing with and resolving that will give you the ability to uh foster some better relationships whether it's with people you want to have children with people you want to marry people you want to have friendships with and people or people that you consider family you know family is a little tough because a lot of that is not by choice but it's still relationships that we can make better as we move forward and i think one of the ways to really establish good relationships is to understand yourself like i've said you know a thousand times already on this episode but also try to be understanding of the people around you try to be understanding of the people that you're trying to engage in relationships with because they themselves are bringing their story to you right so i i always tell people like whenever i meet someone new i try to start from their point of view and i try to see where where does their point of view um how how does it uh, affect me right so that way I, I try not to be selfish in the in the fact that I'm only trying to come into a new relationship with my needs in mind. I'm trying to see, okay, this person has this story and this has affected them this way, and we're gonna move forward this way. One of the examples for that that I've always used in with my patients is people that have resentment with their parents or their family, right, or their culture. You know, because I had for many years, I had issues with my culture. I still do to a degree, but I've been more accepting of it, way more accepting of it. And I've embraced it over the last five to seven years. But I've always told people um, that sometimes parents come from a foundation of ignorance, right? Because we got to keep in mind that they're also they also have the worldview. So there's a lot of their behavior is dictated by their ignorance or even by their own um negative beliefs about themselves so and that's where the ignorance comes from because they're not really aware of it so um the way somebody brings up another person is reflective on on their own experiences um so is is that a reason to forgive bad parenting or trauma no not not necessarily that's up to the person but that certainly puts a new perspective on the fact that a lot of the times parents don't engage in bad parenting because of with, with with malice intent they're they're engaging in bad parenting because they don't know any better and they're they're ignorant to the changing times so it allows the person to understand okay well my parents didn't have the education that i have or they didn't have the understanding or they're victims of their culture right so at, at that moment, maybe you could ha begin to comprehend their motivations a little bit. And then maybe that would lead both your parents and yourself to the road to healing. And it doesn't always work out that way, but it's a good start. Um, so there, there is that. Even, even, like, even like with marriages, you know, there's this idea that Western culture has pushed on us that marriages are supposed to be this blissful um, union with love every single day and and th this idea that you're gonna see butterflies and fireworks every day and birds and all that stuff i mean we talked last week about the honeymoon phase that might be what's going on then but it's not it's not gonna be forever and then and sometimes it's not even in the beginning because uh, uh pre-arranged marriages sometimes don't even have a honeymoon phase unfortunately but also people stay married or stay together 
for practical reasons, for financial reasons, if there's children involved. So there comes a point in a relationship where it's not necessarily about being in love, more so about an agreement that it's best for everyone. Whether or not that agreement is valid or healthy, it's another question. The bottom line is that people stay together for things um, or, or for reasons that have nothing to do with being in love. Again, here, we're not judging anyone. We're not, we're not saying, well, they shouldn't be together. That's not the point. The point is that there's practical reasons to stay with someone that have nothing to do with being in love. And we have to respect that. And it's up to the two people to decide when that's no longer valid for them. Right? So these are some of the scenarios that we confront when we're judging other people's relationships and we're thinking only from our perspective, which is a little selfish and egotistical in a lot of ways. Um, and different people have different motivations for being in relationships. You know, whether it's healthy or not healthy, that's not the point. The point is that we got to think about why they're doing that. And, you know, if, if, if somebody we care for, then we have to uh, respect those decisions. So, anyways... That's pretty much it for this show. Thank you so much for listening. I tried to keep these under an hour. I went a little over this time. Um, but with that said, thank you so much. And we'll catch you all down the road.